Good morning. My name is Jim Barcliff, pastor here at Lighthouse Fellowship. We're glad that you've joined us and everybody here in the congregation. I first of all want to recognize those servicemen and women, again, that have gone before us, that have given their lives for uh, this country and have uh, obviously uh, stood for freedom. And we stand here today because of many that have given of their lives. They've given of the ultimate sacrifice. And I, we recognize that. And we thank the Lord for each and every one. We also thank the Lord for the families that have obviously have come in behind them. And the many that have obviously grieved the loss, uh, even uh, recently. And obviously those, certainly uh, not those in the past, but the descendants of those who have, have shared and, and have given and laid down their lives for the freedom that we now stand here praising the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you. Father, we ask you to bless those families. Bless them. Bless this day as we celebrate. Help us to remember today this, yes, is a barbecue day, and this is a great day to get together with family, which you love, Lord, but we ask you to help us to continue to reflect upon our freedom and give thanks for our freedom, ultimately, that we have in Jesus Christ, but also as you have given us freedom here in this country uh, called the United States of America. Thank you, Lord, for for your presence. Thank you. You're doing great things all over the earth today, including this community here in the Houston area and the region. We thank you, Father, that you're pouring your spirit out. We ask you to increase your work and ask you to do great and mighty miracles, Lord, because that's who you are. We love you, Lord. We praise you again. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here today. We ask you to speak to us through this word. Your word is powerful, it's living and active. And it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And we believe today that you're going to speak. That we believe that you're going to set people free today. Not because of anything that I say, but what you say, Lord. We believe you because we know today that you speak. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through you, Lord Jesus. So speak to us and come Holy Spirit. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, New Testament. About three quarters of the way through. We're going to look at verses 13 through 26. Just pray God would speak today. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. You, my brothers, were called to be free. You know that? Amen. We were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. 
gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. Thank you, Lord. What's he saying? We're going to talk about it today. In old times, back years ago, and during biblical times, is that they, if someone was placed in jail, there would be a particular, what's called a certificate, certificate of debt that would be nailed to the door of their prison cell and on that certificate of debt it actually would list the crimes that this person committed they were in the jail remember this and so forth and when that person served his time then he took that certificate of death and obviously probably it was uh, if you could call it notarized that he had fulfilled what the requirements there of his sentence were and so he could go back into society to whatever extent and he would bring that certificate of debt and show people, I've done my time. For those who were convicted of capital crimes, certainly, and there during the time of Jesus, we know the way of death was crucifixion because the Romans, they crucified people all the time. It was just crucifixion after crucifixion and all. So they, they would take that certificate of debt and actually nail it to the cross and say what was what, what the, the particular crime that the person committed if you remember on the cross where jesus was crucified uh remember what it said it says this is jesus the king of the jews now that was jesus's crime this is jesus the king of the jews but it was on a placard up there on the cross and so again criminals were crucified in public view so that the citizens could see these people suffer and die in pain and agony and anguish upon the cross. And it actually scared them to death. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And it actually kept them, it many times kept them from committing a crime. If you saw that happening, you'd go, I don't want to wind up like that. And so they obviously saw that and they witnessed that. So there's several things I believe that we nailed to that cross at Calvary. First of all, obviously, it was our Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross. Everybody here knows that, certainly. And certainly the placard that containing the title, King of the Jews, was nailed to that cross. God's law was nailed to that cross. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14 says this, And then God made you alive in Christ, for he forgave all of our sins, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The handwriting of ordinances, the law, from God's point of view, was nailed to the cross. Our sins were nailed to the cross. How many of you know that? Our sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross. Romans chapter 6 says this, Knowing this, that your old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, there henceforth we should not serve sin. The people thought Jesus were, was dying for the sins against Caesar, but actually Jesus was dying for our sins. We should have been nailed to that cross with the Ten Commandments nailed above our heads. But God sent His only begotten Son to take our place. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
we should have been taking that, that cross. But Jesus took our place. That is what's called, a lot of times theologians will say, the great exchange. He exchanged it. He took our sins, obviously, and gave us the freedom that we have. And it says here, as we noticed here, he said, so you've been set free because of the cross, what the blood of Jesus has done. He said, so, so don't go back to that old nature that was there. Because see, that old nature is always there. And that old nature rears its head. And I'll tell you today, if you've been saved and born again, you'll still, that old nature is still the same. That old nature is there. And that old nature obviously has a strong bent to sin. It's always there. And so I want to share with you today something so important as you walk in life because either we believe God or we don't. Because I believe that obviously many of us get set free as a result of what God desires to say here. Paul here in the Galatians church, he was combating false teachings of the Judaizers. Judaizers. He was saying this, basically the Judaizers were saying, well, we've accepted Jesus, but we still have to perform the rituals that we were performing in our Jewish religion. And Paul said, no, you don't. Jesus is enough. How many of you know here that our salvation is Jesus plus nothing and minus nothing? Amen. Jesus, 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 plus nothing and minus nothing. No thing that you can do when you're saved can you gain God's acceptance by what you do. Our behavior is not good enough, okay? Everybody here could say that. But Jesus took our place, remember that. And He died in our place. And so it's Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing. You can't add anything to it. And you can't take anything away from that. But the Galatian church was trying to do that. And Paul was trying to correct them and he was showing them something that was very, very important here. So chances are pretty good. Maybe some of us here today have, are in a similar situation. You've been born again. You've been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven and you've been washed in the precious blood of Jesus. But for some reason, things aren't like they used to be. And maybe sometimes it seems like something is missing. And what happens is, I believe, is that we begin to operate in the flesh. We begin to operate in that old nature instead of walking in the spirit. I want to share it because it's important. Every one of us faces here today, young, middle-aged, older, seasoned citizen, doesn't make any difference. We all walk the same walk. We are still in the same battle and Satan wants to take us out. He has a bull. We have a bullseye. He looks at you and says, nope, you're not going to grow in Christ. I'm going to try to put some type of doubt in your mind that God is not for you, that he's actually against you. And one way or another, and then we start, you feel like, well, I'm really worn out. And what's causing that? Many times it's because we begin to work. We begin to strive for our salvation. We begin to somehow say, oh, gosh, well, you know, you may have, have sinned. You may have fallen. And yes, we will sin. We will fall. First John, the first chapter talks about how the remedy is for that. Confess it, repent of it, and then get back up again. And don't take shame and condemnation on that's not of the Lord. God forgives us and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. But we sometimes we strive. And I believe that operation of the flesh in our lives is something that is, is so predominant in our life. Because today, I don't know about y'all, but you can go out and you ride in a car. You don't have to be in a public place or anywhere. At billboards and, and in the supermarket, wherever it may be. And there's all types of images. There are all types of things and so forth. There's all types of music that's going on. There's all everything that's going on. TV. It's teaching us, obviously, to teach and to somehow lean upon our own strength 
to kind of do it the way the world does it. And before long, as Christians, we lose that, that snap in our lives. We lose that power in our life. And I want to tell you how to get that back today because it's important that we know how to walk in the Spirit here. Maybe you're seeing less and less of the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, kindness, joy. You lost your joy. What's stolen your joy? Are you obviously in love with Jesus as much now as when you first got saved? What's missing in your life? What is it that has come in and stolen that from you? Maybe you become kind of really hard-hearted. Maybe you're not quite as kind as you used to be, whatever, okay? Is what's happened in that situation. Maybe you're obviously seeing more and more works of the flesh. More and more works of the flesh. And things are just not right. You know, let me tell you again, the flesh never gets any better. That's not good. It's not good news in that, but it's good news and God gives us a remedy. He never tells us to, to walk in a certain way without giving us the power to be able to walk in that way. But the flesh never gets any better. Everybody here knows that. The flesh won't get any better until we go to be with Jesus. Then it's gone. Right now, the flesh is operating in your life and my life because some of you may be thinking about, hey, how can I hurry up and finish this sermon so we can get home and have the barbecue that I've got on the grill? Okay? Anybody thinking that? We've got, by the way, we've got lunch afterwards. Don't be thinking about that. That's the flesh. Okay? Don't get me wrong. We love to eat and we love barbecue. But I'm saying, what's popped in your mind? Is your mind wandering all over the place and just like, man, hurry up and get this over with us? That's the flesh. It's the flesh. It's not about me again. It's about Jesus. It's about spending that time listening to his word of serving, taking the word of God into your heart. The flesh operates all the time. We get up in the morning. What's the first thought that you have? The first thought is maybe, you know, something that we need to do. Nothing wrong about planning your day and so forth. But the first thought that we have when we wake up should be about the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be getting up with thanksgiving, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It should be about him instead of all this stuff that clutters our minds. That's the flesh today. And we don't walk in the spirit. And what happens, that consumes us. And before long, we're going, man, I'm so tired. I'm worn out because you're walking in the flesh. Maybe you're here today, obviously, and you're not as close to the Lord uh, as you were in the past. Maybe that way. Maybe that's something. That maybe you're thinking even today. Maybe that you're consumed with guilt and shame. And so I want to tell you. How to turn return to a place of victory here today. Some things that I believe you can do. Regular. Some exercises so to, so to speak. Because in, in there chapter 20 verse 24 says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, what? Have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. He says this. Here's the thing, obviously, is that crucifixion was a long process of death. What did it take Jesus about six hours before actually he died? It was a long process. And so our walk with the Lord in crucifying these things in our lives because we come into our life, we got luggage, right? Everybody knows what luggage is? We bring luggage in to our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do something with it today. And I believe today you'll understand it as we go for it, okay? I ask you to join me as we consider this thought, nailing it to the cross, first of all. A particular song that was sung by a group here or lyrics, something like this. And the lyrics go, is there something in your heart between you and the Lord? 
Are you drifting far apart? Not as close anymore. There's nothing you can do that he will not forgive. Bring it to the cross. Let it die so that you can live. Nail it to the cross. Get under the blood. Drown your pain and every stain in the mercy flood. Nail it to the cross. Find hope and forgiveness. Kneel at the tree and walk away free. Nail it to the cross. Verse 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, we'll also walk in the Spirit. And let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. The context of these verses, obviously, speaks of a believer judging his own sinful nature. We need to have an introspective look in our heart every now and then. Get along and say, Lord, show me anything on my heart that I have allowed to come into my life to damage my relationship with you in one way or another to hamper my relationship with you because I just want you because he's the author of life. He's our life. No, everything else in that sense brings death, really. Jesus is life. And say, Jesus, I take that right now and I give it to you. And so actually the, the, the life of a believer is a life of daily repentance. Does everybody know that? We repent when we come to Jesus. But our daily life is a life of repentance. David, who was a man after God's own heart in the Old Testament, we know. And obviously God used him mightily. He had big armies and he conquered many lands there. But he obviously, he he stumbled and fell many times. But yet, as I mentioned in Sunday school earlier, he did not stay down. He confessed it and he repented it from it and he got back up again. That's where we should be also in our lives. We have not arrived, folks. We're not until we get to heaven. And so we've got to learn how to crucify the flesh. And it's actually a process of rejecting that sin and, and obviously renouncing that sin here. So consider here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. It says this. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you be put on the new man, which is about God as created in righteousness and holiness. What do you do? Kind of a, like a simple like a little exercise. Say, Lord, I put off the old man. I just put it off right now. And I put on the new man. We're a new creation because we've been saved by the grace of God. Put that off. And obviously put on the new man on a continual base, basis. Repentance is sincerely turn away. And both your mind and your heart. And from self to God. Self is very strong. And selfishness is a sin. Repentance is an aspect of faith in Jesus Christ. The flesh was crucified once and for all at Calvary through Jesus' sacrifice. And so we see here in verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. And so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so there is a struggle. There is a tension. And old nature says, I want my way. I want what I want. And I want. And why? It's because we say we have a right. We say, hey, I have a right to it. I mean, look, I've been good for several days. I have a right to kind of indulge in the, in the old self nature, which is sin. And so often we, we get tired because it is a war. We need to be refreshed. And we need to obviously seek the Lord for strength. But the war goes on. The truth of the matter is the war is day to day, moment by moment in a believer's life. 
Every believer. Everybody. He's trying to destroy everything in its path. In his path. He came to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. And he uses that. And what he does, he observes us, and he sees a little weakness in you and me, whatever it may be, and that's what he puts his finger on. And what do we do? Sometimes we stumble and fall. We've got to crucify those things that we know are there that are weak. The struggle is, obviously, uh, is believing what God said. The old belief is, remember what Satan told uh, Eve in the Garden of Eden? She said, uh, you know, God told, Eve says, God told us not to eat of that tree. (laughs) And the devil says, surely God didn't say that. Remember? And Eve went, okay, okay. See, the devil tells you, and, and you know it's not right. You'll say, surely God didn't say that, did he? And that's the first step towards obviously falling in that sin. Surely God didn't say that. He says, stay away from those things. Some people, obviously, who have certain bents, maybe it would be alcohol or any of those types of things. They can't go in a bar. Stay away. Run away from that temptation. You're too weak. You can't take it. And so sometimes the weaknesses in your life are not what my weaknesses are. And the weakness in my life are not what your weaknesses are. But we have those things in our lives. And God gives us a remedy here to crucify these things on a regular basis here. You know, obviously, again, it's not up to us to kill the flesh, but we're told to crucify it. And that is a process. That's a continuum of crucifying. It takes a while. It takes time. Romans chapter 7, it says this. I've discovered, Paul's talking, this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I uh, inexplicably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war within my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Now, this is Paul, but he's saying here. But then he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ who delivers me. But there's a battle going on. Doesn't get any easier. You think, hey, it's smooth sailing. Everything is fine. No, there's so many things that are vying for your attention and my attention and for all in one way or another, the world is already in the hands of the evil one. But it, Satan wants to bring us down to ruin our witness. He always does that. And so when we fail to walk in the spirit and begin to fulfill the desires of the flesh, then we become prisoners of our flesh once again. Verse 15. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And obviously, verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Crucify the, fit, the, the, the flesh daily. We have to do that because obviously it is very, very important. Nail them back to the cross. So I want to look at some things here that are mentioned here and some in addition to that that you need to nail to the cross here. Alcohol. Maybe we struggle with alcohol. Maybe it's a constant temptation. Maybe you're at the point where you don't even put up a fight. It controls your life. You've tried in your own power to quit with no success. It's a struggle for you. Repent and nail it to the cross. Maybe it's drugs. We live in a day where there are countless types of illegal drugs out there and so forth and unlimited access to them. It's not just the hippies and hell's angels that have it. It's everywhere. There's all types of drugs that are out there today. And maybe if that is obviously obviously your bent or maybe a temptation, nail it to the cross. Get it straight. Sexual sins. Examine the works of the flesh found there in uh, many, many people. Pornography. Paul was many people addicted to pornography. Nail it to the cross. Lust. 
lust is perhaps the easiest sin to hide because from others. Because, see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, but if I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Many times lust leads to actual adultery. It's in your mind. Nobody sees it. You can have it there and nobody sees it. Nail it to the cross. Say, Lord, right now I crucify this particular issue in my life. I do adultery. Might think there at church house there that obviously would be no problems there. There are temptations all around. There are always temptations. We are not immune from temptations there. And obviously David was a man after God's own heart and he committed adultery. Obviously, uh, I want to say this and I'll say it right up front. Many Christians today believe that living together before they're married is actually okay. The large percentage today in the church house believe that living together is okay. No, it's not okay. It's fornication. It's fornication and it's wrong. It's a sin. And people come and do that before they make that commitment in holy matrimony. God created man for woman and vice versa and so forth. But he created it, obviously, knowing what was right when the two are come together. And obviously, they leave their parents and they cleave to one another. That is there, the word. It's not right. It's sin. You don't know how many people I've talked to who are Christians that actually believe this is okay. It's not okay. It's sin. We need to nail it to the cross. There's forgiveness, folks. We nail it to the cross. Fornication there. Any type of immoral sexual activity, including adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, incest, prostitution, obviously, whatever it might be. There are consequences of that type of rebellion. You need to nail it to the cross. There are social sins. These are sins related to our dealings with other people. Lying. Lying is a sin. How many of you ever know that? Lying. Uh, obviously, you're saying, well, I'm just telling a little white lie. It's a lie. And it's a sin. Certainly here. Uh, slander, slander, making false statements, damaging a person's uh, reputation. Gossip, gossip is a sin. What we do is, is someone will tell you something and what they say, is, don't tell anybody else, please. They've gossiped at that point. You know, when God shows you somebody's life and you, they, you see an issue in that person, or you feel like there's something that, that can happen. What is God calling us to do? Pray for that individual. He's not calling us to go and begin just gossiping about it. Gossip is dangerous, like a stick of dynamite. One man says this. Some people will believe anything if it's whispered there uh, to them. They'll believe anything if it's whispered to them there. Backbiting? Backbiting is malicious talk about someone who's not present. Many times we try to justify ourselves in these sins, but they're still wrong and they're sinful here. One pastor made up a formula. I believe it's called an acronym. It's called THINK, T-H-I-N-K. And the T stands for if you get ready to say something about somebody or whatever, first of all, think about this, the T. Is it true? The H, is it helpful? The uh, I, is it inspiring? The N, is it necessary? And the K, is it kind? If what you do and you see that and it's, doesn't meet those requirements, then keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. See, this here can cause a lot of damage. In James, that tongue is like a rudder 
on a ship. It's a little small thing, isn't it? But it can turn that big ship, that big that rudder can turn that ship and it can turn people's lives upside down because you talk too much. The, the Bible says to be slow to speak, obviously, and quick to listen. Can we do that? Anybody here? Is anybody on board with me on this? The word of God today? Are everybody catching this? It's here right here, isn't it? It's right there. If you struggle with lying, backbiting, slander or gossip, repent, nail it to the cross. There's forgiveness there. Bitterness, holding on to something or showing feelings of intense, obviously strong animosity. If you have a problem with forgiveness, are you getting guilty of holding on to something? A bitterness has gotten down your heart. Have you not just said, by an act of my will, I forgive this person for hurting me or whatever it may be there? Because you see, there is a root of bitterness that gets in there. And do you know what happens? Bitterness just eats you up. Isn't it something how God knows what's best for us? We look at it and you go, wow, this is overwhelming. But God is saying today, I want the very best for you. You see, bitterness comes from anger. Strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility here. We often try to justify our anger when there is no real justification at all here. <laughs> Listen to this. Billy Sunday was a great evangelist years and years ago. And a lady came up to him after his sermon and tried to rationalize her anger outburst. She said, there's nothing wrong with me losing my temper. She said, I blow up and then it's all over. And Billy Sunday, the preacher said, yeah, so does a shotgun. And look at the damage that it leaves behind. We say that, don't we? He says this, only have righteous anger when there's obviously you see and be radical about the sin in your life and nail it to the cross. You see, anger is sin. Sin there. And so there, what is the answer? The anger answer is obviously repent and nail it to the cross. Here's one. Covetousness. Okay? You covet something. This sin is always wanting more. When, when you have this mindset, you're telling God that what he has blessed you with is just not enough. Have you ever looked at what somebody else had and, and you wanted it? And have you ever looked at somebody else and said, God, you're treating that person better than me? You're doing a better job. I just, you know, that person over there, I, I've, I've gone through a lot of stuff here. It looks like that person has smooth sailing here. You know, I want what they've got. I mean, they've got a big house, got a nice car and all this other stuff. And you start envying stuff and it comes out, doesn't it? Repent, nail it to the cross. Thank God for what you have. You see, nobody, including myself, is immune to any of these things here. Why did the Bible, he, Paul wrote the, the, the book, to the Galatian church. It's because he knows. God knows your heart and my heart. And he knows what we obviously have are subject to every day. We're in a battle. We're at a war here. Jealousy. Resentment against someone because they, they've been successful or, or have an advantage. When you're jealous of someone, again, you're telling God that the positions that you've been placed in just are not good enough. You know, I remember I've shared this story and I, I had to go from one hospice to another because of some situations. The hospice shut down. And when the next hospice came in, they offered me a certain amount of money, which was below what I was making at the other hospice. I became resentful. I became uh, just angry about it because I'm like, hey, I was making this and I, I did well with God bless me in that ministry and so forth. And, and, and so forth, but I, was, I didn't get what I thought I deserved, okay? 
I had a lady friend of mine that uh, was a prayer warrior for me, intercessor, and I was telling her about it. And you know what she told me? She told me this. She said, Jim, God has given you what he knows that you can handle. It was like a rebuke if I've ever had one. But do you know what? I listened to it. I've never forgotten it because that's the truth. You see, we're not happy with anything because we always want this. Nothing wrong with striving and your motive and really aggressively going out there. But when you get and your heart starts changing and you begin to covet what other people have, you become jealous what other people have and all these things. And it's sin. What do we do? You nail it to the cross here. One is pride. Okay. A high opinion of one's own dignity, importance and merits or super superiority. Pride is a sin. Remember, Satan was kicked out there of heaven because he was prideful. He was a worship leader there in heaven. He had a high position in the heavenlies with God Almighty. And yet he wanted to take God's place. Pride. He's I'm better than God. I know better than God. And God got a hold of it and kicked he and a third of the angels out of heaven. They're demons now running on this earth. And they're obviously tempting every one of us. We're not immune to it. Pride. Obviously, we look at somebody who stumbled and fell. And we, we know what you say. You say, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. And you know what? The Bible says, be careful lest you also fall. You've got to be obvious. What do you do with it? You nail it to the cross. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking less about yourself. You know? You struggle with these sins, nail them to the cross. Idolatry, admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone other than God. Not that you don't love your spouse and your family and life and so forth. But when those things, even those that are good, come and take the place of God, then it's the idolatry. If there's something in your life, maybe it is an addiction, maybe it is a habit, maybe it's something that you continue to fall under, what you do is you place that, that particular issue in the place of idolatry. And God says, what do you do? Nail it to the cross. Crucify it. Crucify that self. But what happens when you begin to crucify it? That old self squeals like a stuck pig. Ow, it hurts. It hurts. And you go, oh gosh. You begin to push away from that which maybe has held you in bondage before. And you begin to pray against it and so forth. And you begin to wean yourself off of it. And it's like a detox program. It's like, ouch, whoa. What do we do? We nail it to the cross. I could go on and on. All these things. You know, you know what you deal with here. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, but you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof here. That group, nail it to the cross. Says, Is there a bird you bear that's got you battered and bound? Struggling for strength, do you long to lay it down? Don't take another step. Just kneel where you stand. Lay it at the cross and take the hammer in your hand. Nail it to the cross. Get it under the blood. Drown your pain in every stain in the mercy flood. Nail it to the cross, find hope and forgiveness. Kneel at the tree and walk away free. Nail it to the cross. 
If you have the sins, do you have any sins here? Of course you do. We haven't arrived yet. Of course you do, certainly. Do you have worries? Anybody here have worries? Yeah. Nail it to the cross. Do you have fears? Yeah. Nail it to the cross. Do you have doubts? Do you doubt? Are you doubtful of the faithfulness of our God? Are you trusting in something in the flesh to get it done? Nail it to the cross. There's those fleshly sins that are there. Do you have troubles that seem hard to bear? Nail it to the cross. Nail it to the cross. Maybe you've lost. Maybe if you're lost today and you're dead and you're transgressions, you just haven't received Jesus today. Today would be the day you come forward. Today would be if you're watching this by live streaming, YouTube and so forth. Today may be the day you lay it down and you nail it to the cross and say, I can't do it anymore. I can't bear up under the weight of what I'm facing in life. Jesus said, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When we learn to walk in the spirit every day. And what does that mean? That means we've got to be attuned every day. Okay. You can't be out there in outer space somewhere and all of a sudden, hey, you know, oh gosh, I've got to bear up under this. You've got to be in tune with the Spirit. You've got to know and listening to Him, walking with Him, obeying Him. Don't, as the Bible says, don't grieve or quench the Spirit. So often that could be the case. In Matthew chapter 5, real quickly, I want to mention this because this is important. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 said, Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, what's it say? Shall be filled. You know, these are things, obviously, that we need to hunger after. And what it says, they shall be filled. And so when you, if you hunger and thirst, I'll ask everybody, you hunger and thirst for a glass of water, or thirst for a glass of water, what do you do? You'll make every effort to get that glass of water, won't you? What if you're hungry? Now, obviously, I, you can look by my appearance. I have more than uh, three square meals a day, okay? No comment. But I'm hungry. What do I do? I don't care whether or not I, I got to go to Burger King or to, to any place, whatever, McDonald's or wherever it may be. I don't care. I'm going to do it. So here's the thing. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, which really should be uh, where we are today in our relationship with the Lord, is you got to do something about it. You don't not just passively saying, hey, I'm just going to kind of scoot through here. Do something about it. I'm hungry for the Lord. Do something about it. And make that move towards Him and say, aggressively seek Him. Have radical faith that God's going to meet you where you are. The Bible says if we draw near to God, He'll draw near to us. But the issue is whether or not we're drawing near to Him. And the issue is if we're not hungry and thirsty for righteousness, we're going to be hungry and thirsty for something, aren't we? We may be hungry and thirsty for the world. And the world doesn't do anything but give us death. Only the Spirit can bring life. And it's important to know that. We obviously... We need to, first of all, if there's infection, we obviously experienced this in COVID and the quarantines that were in our homes and so forth. And some people said, I can't stay in that home. If there's an infection in that home, what do you do? I stay away from it. 
If there's a temptation there you're facing, what do you do? You stay away from it. You stay away from those people, friends, rightful friends, that are not a good influence on you. Because what happens, even if they're kind of nice people, nothing wrong with having friends. We need to witness to that. But we've got to be careful. Because anything that will dull your walk with Jesus is out of line. Okay? Everything. And I speak to myself every time. Anything that dulls your walk with Jesus, that's sort of like, hey, you know, and things begin, again, we're going, things are not the same in my relationship with Jesus. And we begin, obviously, a downward trend here. We've got to avoid everything that tends to pull us down and dulls our spiritual appetite. Because our spiritual appetite should be top priority. And many other times and so forth, I love to eat out. I love to do this. I love all this other stuff. But I have to be careful that it doesn't get out of balance in what God has for me. If you find, obviously, that you're spending too much time with other things that diminish your spiritual appetite and your desire for the things of God is less, then you've got to avoid them. What does that mean? The boob tube? Everybody know what that is? TV. We got TVs now all over the place, don't we? We got big TVs. I got a big TV. Get be careful there. You fill your mind there. And what it does, it dulls your spiritual appetite. And it's very subtle. And I'm saying this today because a lot of these things are good. They're nothing wrong. But they have a tendency for each one of us that they can dull. Because we spend too much time with that instead of spending time with the Lord. God is trying to wake us up to that. It takes discipline and dependence upon the Lord. Self-discipline, because we're in a real battle here. So, when you think about your life, and, and you know, I, we all know we could pass on at any time. I'm not going to be, you know, obviously morbid about it. But you always think, and you look back over your life, what did I do for the glory of God? What's important in your life, my life? What did I do for the glory of God? Because Paul's life meant service and delight and giving himself for the cause of Christ. You think, Paul, well, he's an apostle. Look at him. I mean, he's given us actually what we know we should also walk in. And God gives us the ability to do that if we'll pay attention. Whatever dulling your life today, lay it down. Nail it to the cross. And don't allow it to come in the place of your relationship with God Almighty. Don't allow indulgences and laziness to hinder your walk for Jesus here. Don't just go through the motions. God's got a plan. And God wants to use you and me today. We're living in a very corrupt society. And it's nothing new, obviously. But it certainly is something that God has placed us here. You always remember there. Uh, as Esther has said, we were placed here for such a time as this. You're not an accident. You didn't come from your mother's womb there just by accident. All of a sudden, well, you're born here on the scene. Here, I, what, what, What's life have for me? No, you're here by a divine providential will of Almighty God. And that is to bring glory and honor to Him. God will allow everything to be Stripped away for him to show you that he's enough and he's all you need. We think we need something else. 
but you don't need anything but God. And visiting people on their deathbeds. I mentioned this to somebody recently. Is that they would want a glass of water. And so, as you know, hospitals, we in homes, they put bedside tables there. And a family would come in there and put a glass of water there on the table. And I'd watch it. I knew what was going to happen. But I'd watch them, and, and the person would reach over to grab, the, the, the patient would reach over to grab the glass of water, and, and the family would take it away and try to do it. And that person would, with you don't think they have strength, would take that person's hand to let that glass of water down and let them take that glass of water themselves and take it themselves. You ever seen that? Happen every time, okay, until the person's unresponsive. What is that? It's because in one way or another, we believe, and I think our independence, again, we know that it's, it's normal. I'm not minimizing that. But what happens is we believe that we can sort of like, we don't need anybody. And I am obviously, I, I, I am so strong that I'm not dependent upon anybody. In reality, we are dependent Upon God Almighty for every moment of our lives. Every moment. The Bible says he gives us life and breath and everything else. We're totally dependent on him. And what happens is in these times when we allow these little petty sins to come in. And they build up. And they are sin. I don't minimize it at all. But we allow them to build up. And before long, what happens is it takes you away from your dependency upon God Almighty. And what happens? You begin to spiritually die, not physically. And you're born again. But you don't have the life that God breathes into you because, again, you've allowed things to come in to get between you and him. Paul's telling us here, don't allow that to happen. Nail them to the cross. Crucify them. Say, I don't want it. It begins by a self-introspection. Lord, look at my heart and take anything out of my heart that has in any way hindered my relationship with you. Everybody got that? Crucify it. Get rid of it. You do it. You start by crucify it, Lord. I'll stay away. I'll crucify it. And by your power and your might, I will not go back and do that. When you stumble and fall, you confess it, repent, get back up again. I'm not saying, but again, it is a lifelong battle because the flesh not getting any better. Anybody know that when you became a Christian, you maybe thought, hey, everything is smooth sailing now. No, it's not. That old nature said, nope, nope, nope. I'm still here. You got to crucify it every day. And it may be every moment of time. Every moment of your time. You know what one of the biggest sins are? Unbelief. You don't believe God can deliver you? You don't believe, obviously you've dealt with something or whatever it may be, you don't believe God can take care of it. Or something what your heart maybe as we speak, as we're spoken today, and you have unbelief and that God has maybe forsaken you. Maybe it's that you don't feel the presence of the Lord anymore. You don't have and just felt that warmth of his presence and his Holy Spirit in your life. And you feel like, hey, I've just done too much to to any way to, to for God to come back and, 
and, and, and bathe me in his love again. That's a lie. God comes back every time we turn to him. His arms are open wide. But we have to make that choice. I make a choice every day. Life is just made up of big choices, little choices. We can choose to obey God, follow him, do what's right, or we can do what's wrong. We make a choice every day, don't we? Real simple, isn't it? God knows. Isn't it something? I always am amazed, just like the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 11, I believe it was. Oh, the wisdom of God. I can't, can't fathom. I can't understand it. It's so beyond what we can understand. He's so good. He knows what he's doing. If we'll get and, and read this and get in this word, study the word of God and get into his presence and experience him. He's going to change us. It changes because what happens is all these things, just, they just come in and let me, they don't go anywhere. But what we can do is obviously be filled with the word of God. They got to go somewhere. Crucify them. Nail them to the cross. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray. And then I want anybody here uh, to, that wants to come forward for prayer. Anybody can come forward for prayer. We want to pray for you. And ask the Lord to touch you. And ask God to just cleanse you. It's a way of what happens is when you, <clears throat> when you humble yourself and say, I have a need, God gives you grace. He loves it. Because He knows. And you can go to Him right where you are. But many times... We're a family. In any way we can pray for you, we want to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your word to us. And dear God, we ask you today, uh, adjust our thinking. Help us today that we would nail those things to the cross that are not like you. We ask you, Lord, today that you would completely, completely, we crucify them by faith. And we nail them. We say, Lord, get rid of that stuff out of our hearts and lives. And anything that dulls our relationship with you, we ask you, Lord, to remove it. Take your spiritual scalpel and cut it out. Remove it, Lord, because we want that freshness of our walk with Jesus Christ. Father, today we confess that we've sinned against you. We confess, dear Lord, that there are things that we've done. We didn't realize it, but we know under conviction of your spirit that they were just not pleasing to you. Lord, if we confess selfishness, self that wants that, wants their own way, forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. Have your own way, Lord, in our lives. Touch us. We're not, we're not playing games, Lord. We're not going through the motions. We want you to fill us afresh. And there seems to be a blockage. Show us, Lord. And we'll bring it to you so that we can be filled. That we can be empowered to seek you and to do your will. Father, there be anyone here who's never received Jesus Christ into their lives. I ask you today. The day would be the day that maybe they felt just a little bit knock on their heart. Don't, don't turn away. Don't turn away. Today is the day of salvation. Ask Jesus to come into your life. Somebody watching this, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Save me. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I have sinned against you because my sin is against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And ask you to come into my life. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for my sins and I receive you right at this very moment. If that's anybody watching, anybody in here today, I want you to 
just come come forward and talk to me. Come forward. Anybody. And anybody that that in any way has feels like, hey, something's not right. Something's not right. And I want to get right. I want those things crucified in my life that are not like Jesus. I don't want them. I'm tired of it. I can't take it anymore. If that's you, then you come forward. Just come forward and and just say, I I need freedom. I don't want anything to stand in my way with a relationship with God. Even the good things that have dulled your spiritual appetite. A relationship with Jesus should be priority. Today would be the day that you get it right. Today would be the day that you, you just say, Lord, I take that step, you see. Again, you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And when you get transparent, get real real with him, he'll say, my grace is abundant for you. That means he gives you the ability to push off those things, to shake off those things that are not like him. Those things that dull your relationship with Jesus. Today would be the day. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing here. We bless the work of your spirit. We ask you to increase your work, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father. Thank you that you're up to great and wonderful things. Do it, Lord. Do it again. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you all for watching today. And I pray God touch you this week. It would be a blessed week for you. And that you uh, are strengthened in the Lord. Uh, and that you draw closer to the Lord. He's doing great things. And we're excited about what the Lord. Come and join us next week. We thank you for watching today. And uh, we pray for you. Pray for each one that's watching. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.